it became so obvious on why Miami is not going to be a threat to us because you've got the Everglades to the west and you've got the Atlantic to the east. You know, they can't grow anymore. And so New York, it's New York, LA, Chicago, then Dallas, Fort Worth. New York can't grow anymore. LA can't grow anymore. Chicago can't grow anymore. North Texas, you know, we have no barriers. We're a 360 degree city. Nothing will stop us. And so in theory, we'll, we'll be passing Chicago probably the next eight to nine years. Mm -hmm. So it's gonna be New York, LA, and Dallas, Fort Worth. We can continue to grow. And welcome to TrackCast, the official podcast of the Real Estate Council from deep in the heart of Dallas, Texas. I'm Bill San Antonio. Thank you for joining us. We've got a great show for you today as we bring you our October 29th Bank of Texas Speaker Series event entitled North Texas, Our Rise in the Global Economy. It featured an in-depth conversation between the Perot Group and Hillwood Chairman Ross Perot Jr. and the Dallas Morning News President and Publisher Grant Moyes about how DFW has positioned itself as a strong regional economy and global player, with the commercial real estate industry at the very heart of it all. Bank of Texas Speaker Series is presented by the Dallas Morning News. We'd also like to thank series sponsor Stuart Title, speaker sponsor RSM, and event sponsor Balfour Beatty Construction for their support of Speaker Series. Before we get to our conversation with Ross and Grant, I'd like to remind you to subscribe to the show on your favorite listening platform to get all new episodes right to your mobile device. We've also posted a video of their conversation over on our YouTube channel, so you can check that out if you'd prefer to watch them. Be sure to follow us on social media as well for the latest news and updates from around the organization. We've linked to all of that, the video, our podcast links, and all of our social media handles in the show notes. Now, here's Ross Perot Jr. and Grant Moise in conversation right here on TrackCast. Hello, thank you, Mike, for the welcome. Uh, we at RSM are pleased to be today's speaker uh, sponsor for the last speaker series of 2021. It's a great honor for RSM to sponsor such high-quality educational events such as the one we're about to experience. Uh, moreover, this final program series of the year is an excellent program to sponsor for a company such as ours, given the international presence. I'm especially excited to hear Ross Bro Jr. and hear his uh, take on the region's climb towards global uh, recognition and learn more about the roles uh, our city and region will play as a serious contender in the global economy. It's my honor to introduce today's speaker series moderator, Grant Moise, publisher and president of the Dallas Morning News. Good to be with you. Hey, Grant, thank you. Yeah. Um, this is special for me because uh, what's really wonderful about my job is I get to uh, do some of these things in private. We just had a similar conversation we did six over lunch. weeks ago. Um, and I'll tell you all, I left that conversation just thinking, um, boy, I almost wish more people could hear that, especially with some of the things that we'll talk about. So I'm really excited to do that. But before I do, um, just wanted to mention on behalf of the Dallas Morning News, 
Why we sponsor this, and I think one of the things I want to talk about is there were two reasons why, especially for me being here today, were so important. Um, but both of them tie back to the same thing. I will get to Ross second, but I'd like to talk about the Real Estate Council first. Um, because I think what I may be able to do for you all, and I looked, at, I don't know about you all, but I am infatuated with mission statements. Uh, some people think, oh, mission statements, there, but what, I, what I'm especially focused on them is, I know that for those of you who've created them, every word matters. And so at the Real Estate Council's mission statement, something that I want to tell you is why I'm here and I want to challenge each of you. At the end, it says, we believe relationships are the lifeblood of career success, community investment, and civic responsibility. Um, what you all may not know is I think of the real estate community and I think of probably even the, the medical community, I would say, are two that here in Dallas-Fort Worth, you all have a great civic responsibility. And what I love is, Linda, Trek, you all take it so seriously because it's not just about developing and economic development, the things that we'll talk about, but it's about equality. It's about how do we make this, how do we make housing affordable? How do we make this a city that can continue to have a dream? So I want to challenge each of you, though, as members of this industry, get involved in your city. Get involved in your community. I know you're involved in your industry, but I, what I also love is uh, those of you who are just saying, boy, I want to be a part of this city. I want to see this city grow. So that's really number one for me and for the Dallas Morning News of why being here is important. But number two is you, Ross. I mean, it's really your, as, as Mike had mentioned, your commitment not only to the real estate community, but to making Dallas and North Texas one of just the preeminent places in the world. Um, I'm forever thankful. I know all of us in this room are, so we look forward to hearing more from you today. Trent, thank you. Yeah, no, absolutely. So let's, And I like being compared with a doctor. Well, hey, hey, that's pretty doctors, good. So, so real estate real, developers and doctors, we're, we're now on par. So I'm gonna, I've got a brother-in-law who's a doctor, so I'm having a good time with that. So, so let's start. Um, you know, I, I think Hillwood, you all are, are known for developments, not only fantastic and some of those iconic developments here in North Texas, but also now you all are expanding not only nationally, but into Europe. But before I get into that, will you just tell the group, the room here a little bit, tell us about you, tell us a little bit about just you as a person, you growing up in your unique family, and how have kind of those things shaped you? And just tell us a little bit more just about you as a person. No, great, thank you. And uh, it, it's an honor to be with everybody today. And I really look forward to the next uh, 30, 45 minutes. I hope at the end we'll get some good questions and answers and find out really what's on your mind. But I grew up in Dallas, I was born in Dallas. And when, my, when I was born, my father was a salesman for IBM. And my parents moved to Dallas in 1956. I'm born in 58. And my dad, we had one car. We lived on Linden Lane, just south of LBJ. My mom and I used to drive my father to work and drop him off so he'd have a car through the day. And my father became the top salesman for IBM in the United States. And so as he started to grow in his career, and it's interesting, if you look at where our campus is on Turtle Creek, the, right across the street used to be the old IBM building. And so when we actually did our journey through the decades, my father started on Turtle Creek with IBM, and 50 years later, we came basically home to right where he started with our Turtle Creek campus. So we've been in that area for a long time. 
and as my father became more successful, he had a vision. He wanted to start a, a technology services business. IBM didn't want to do it. They said, no, sell hardware. He sold his quota in January of, of the first part of the year. He went back to IBM and said, look, I need more computers to sell. And IBM said, no, you're selling so much, you'll make more than the president, which is like, well, what's wrong with that? And so from that moment forward, you know, anybody in our company, every salesman, there are no quotas on your upside. You can sell all you want, and we hope you make more than the president of the company. And so my father had money, he had an idea, he started EDS, and so I literally watched the American dream unfold in our living room. And I was a, I was a little boy, and I had, I had two sisters at that time, and I ended up with four sisters. And I watched him build the company, I met the partners, and I literally grew up with the men and women of EDS. But technology services is not a great father-son business. I go to the data centers on Saturday, play with punch cards and kind of hang out. But real estate is a great business to do in a family. My father started buying and selling real estate. And so I was with him every Saturday. We drive, not the toll road we have today, but you know, two lane, the old two lane blacktop toll road. And we were buying land, and so I watched him in the real estate business in the 70s, and that's what really brought me into the real estate business. We built the EDS, first EDS campus off of Forest Lane, the old bankrupt golf course, and I, I did that with him. Then we did Legacy up in Plano together, and I would go out there and spend time with him. And so that's kind of where I got in the real estate business, watching him and being the only son with four sisters, a grandmother, a mom, a grandmother, and an aunt. It was just the two of us at the end of the table. And we were always together. We were great friends. And I love working with him. Yeah. Well, I know amazing things of watching a successful, not only father, but obviously uh, knowing your mother. You just have a successful family that is uh, probably taught you quite a few, even just kind of lessons and traits that I'm sure you just take with you today that have nothing to do with business. That's right. You know, very, very blessed yeah. to, to be in a great family. Yeah. So let's and, and, and like all of us, you know, we can't take for granted that I was born here and that you know, this room you now work in Dallas-Fort Worth. I mean, my real estate career would be radically different if I didn't live in Dallas-Fort Worth. If I lived in a dying part of the country, I'm not sure I'd be in real estate. Yeah. But when you're in one of the most rapid growing regions of the nation like we are, this is a great industry to be in, and it's got decades of great growth in front of it. So speaking of decades, uh, Hillwood, you're in your th uh, third decade, right. a little over 30 years. Um, tech, talk to us a little bit about what are some of those projects? I mean, when I think of Hillwood, I think of Alliance, I think of Victory Park. It may be some of those things that you want to talk about, but what are some of those projects here in North Texas that you really feel like maybe we're game changers. And then tell us a little bit about the future for you all of what you're working on here. As I said, you all are global, but what you're working on here that you really say are really changing this region. Well, we are, if you look at Hillwood, we're long Texas. And we have probably well over 30,000 acres in Dallas-Fort Worth. And we develop all over Dallas-Fort Worth. And at the end of the day, Mike Berry and I talk you know, you really don't need to leave Dallas-Fort Worth and have an amazing real estate career. And there's so many opportunities here that you really don't have to leave. No, we do. And we develop around the United States. We develop throughout Europe because that's where our partners want to go. But this area's got phenomenal growth. So if you look at the big game changers, you know, what we did at Legacy really planted that North Dallas market. 
and we went to Legacy, if you look at the stories, we were at Forest Lane, we want, EDS was growing, we wanted to do a third building at the Forest Lane campus, and the Dallas City, Dallas City Council said no. And you tell my father no, it's like, okay, watch this. And so he goes to Plano, buys 2,500 acres, and Tom Luce, who a lot of you know, was doing the zoning for us. And so Luce was working on the zoning, and Dad said, no, Tom, I want more. No, Tom, I want more. Finally, Tom walks in, he goes, he goes well, how much, how much more zoning do you need? He goes, I want to be bigger than downtown Dallas. And so that's, and so I think Legacy is like 100,000 feet below right now downtown Dallas. And so it's been a phenomenal project. And then we, then we did, then we, from Legacy, we started doing Alliance. And we, in our goal at Alliance is to really fill in the last big piece of Dallas-Fort Worth, that northwest quadrant off of DFW Airport. And that's been an amazing 30-plus year run. And as we're doing Alliance, it was Robert Decker at the Morning News. I don't know if people heard this story, but Robert called me down. And he said, you know, why are you doing all this work in Fort Worth? And I know Robert a long time. So Robert, I think it's kind of where the opportunities were. He says, you need something in downtown Dallas. And I said, okay. So we started looking in downtown Dallas, and that's when the arena became broken. And Don Carter was trying to get the arena built for the Mavericks. If you remember the history, he went to Louisville and had land under contract in Louisville to build the arena. And then the voters of Louisville said no. And so that looked like a big project that was broken we could help with. And so I went to Don and we started working on the arena together. Now, if you're gonna do the arena, we needed to own part of the Mavs. And so Don sold me 50 something percent of the Mavericks. So we had the team, we worked with the city and that whole victory program came about because of the arena and because you know, an idea. I mean, Robert planted this idea, you've gotta do something in Dallas. And if you look, you go back in time when we did this arena program, I mean, that whole area in Uptown was empty, except for the Crescent. And so now it's, it's, it's been an incredible boom. And so legacy, legacy to Alliance to Victory, they're the big three we've done. But then we're doing communities all over North Texas. So we continue to look and do more and more deals. And hopefully people in this room will bring us some more great ideas. So it gives us a little bit of sense of what you all are up to specifically at the company. Let's, let's pull the lens back mm -hmm. a little bit to the market. When you think of this North Texas market, especially thinking about it today, I don't know about you all, we don't know what state we're, of the pandemic we're in. We, we know we're mm -hmm. getting better, uh, but uh, we, we, we don't know everything. Uh, tell us, how are you seeing this market? How are you seeing the real estate market kind of given the pandemic? What shifts mm -hmm. are you seeing here and how is North Texas positioned to handle those shifts? I think bottom line, very, very well. And North Texas is that even, even in the COVID, we still had a very strong real estate market. And I mean, you can make a case, we've got the best real estate market in the United States, if not the world, now being a little, broker on that point. But if you go around the world, we spend a lot of time around the world in other projects. This is extraordinarily unique. In Dallas-Fort Worth, if you look at it, it's the population center for North America. And we look at it at the North American trading block. And so where in the world is there a trading block like North America? There's really not one. And when you put North America together, it has got the best future of any region in the world. Because Mexico brings us demographics. It brings us youth. Then you've got the power of the U.S. economy and the Canadian economy. 
and we're completely energy independent with oil and gas. When you bring, U.S. is today, you put Mexico and Canada in, we are very, very strong. So we're the population center for North America. When I started my career, we had about three million people in Dallas-Fort Worth. And now I have almost eight. And so I love to joke with real estate groups, you know, if you're here in North Texas and you go three million to eight million, there are no excuses on why your project doesn't work. Because you've got the wind at your back. But you look at the demographics, I mean, we're adding a million people every seven years, and it continues. And at this moment, because of the pandemic, it's almost fast-forwarded trends that we were seeing and experiencing, but now they're faster. And I've never seen as many people moving in off the West Coast, and now moving out of New York, and then Chicago. And people are really flocking here into this community. And it's to the point where I told my wife, I said, you know, there are two or three you know, couples a week I'm now meeting coming to the office. They're moving in from different parts of the nation. And so the intellectual talent coming in, I mean, we're continuing to refresh the business, basically the business community in North Texas with all the talent coming in. And we had our air show last weekend in Alliance. We had the Blue Angels. I invited a lot of these new families. And, I, and a lot of these families said, why are you here? I mean, you think taxes, regulation, but a lot of the families are coming because of culture. And I heard it again last night. They said, you know, we're here because we cannot raise our children in L.A. We cannot raise our children in New York. We've got to have a better culture. And so they're coming for culture. And then I was talking to one of our very large clients, and he said, I said, why do you continue to build in North Texas? He said, it's the labor. He said, you've got such great labor in North Texas. And we think about labor shortage, and we feel like it's tight and hard to find people. He said, Ross, you just don't know what it's like in other parts of the nation compared to here. There's so many people moving in that you can attract great labor into your operations. So the culture is important, the labor is important, but then a lot of our California clients that we're working with today, especially the factories, we, we get, Mike and I go through the most basic point. After COVID, a lot of these California factories, they were shut. And I said, well, if you were in Texas, you'd been open. It is that black and white. And so people are coming because you had economic freedom during COVID. So we've got the, really the wind at our back. And I see a tremendous amount of growth grant, growth coming in grant to yeah. this marketplace. One of the things when you and I were having lunch that I'm, I know this is a room <clears throat> full of real estate people, so maybe I'm the last mm -hmm. one who clued into this. But when you explained and you said, let me tell you how Dallas-Fort Worth is different than some of these other major cities in right. our ability to expand geographically, will you ex just take us back to that a little bit? What started is you know, we're seeing the New York, a lot of New York is going to Florida. California is coming to Texas. LA is coming to Dallas. San Francisco is kind of going to Austin. But we started watching Florida. We started watching Miami. And, I, and, and, and so I said, okay, is this going to be it, we started to develop in Miami. We're developing down at Homestead, uh, uh, the race car track, the NASCAR track, putting a big Amazon building. So I had a reason to go, and so I'm looking at, I'm flying the, the Miami market, and it became so obvious on why Miami is not going to be a threat to us, because you've got the Everglades to the west, and you've got the Atlantic to the east. You know, they can't grow anymore. And so New York, it's New York, LA, Chicago, then Dallas, Fort Worth. New York can't grow anymore. L.A. can't grow anymore, Chicago can't grow anymore, North Texas, you know, we have no barriers. We're a 360-degree city. Nothing will stop us. 
And so in theory, we'll, we'll be passing Chicago probably the next eight to nine years. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be New York, LA, and Dallas, Fort Worth. We can continue to grow. And great cities, great growth cities have to have a lot of airports. We have DFW Airport, we have Love Field, and we have Alliance. So you've got big, the big three airports that are going to continue to help us grow. And I hope we continue to build more airports in the North Texas market, because that'll give us a big competitive advantage. So we're in a good spot. We're adding in North Texas a million people every seven years. Mm-hmm. What could get in our way? What, 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 sh- what do we need to be aware of to make sure that we don't take this success for granted, the 360 degree opportunity mm-hmm. for granted? Where do you see saying, boy, let's be mindful of some of these things so that we continue with this trajectory? Well, I think it's complacency. I mean, we, we, you know, so much work goes into allowing us to grow. And you look at what Michael Morris has done at Council of Governments. And you look at, at the roads that we've been putting. This all happens backstage, and a lot of people don't watch it. But we've got a great Council of Governments. And we've just completed 18 billion of new roads in Dallas-Fort Worth, plus the airports that I mentioned. And we have new runways at DFW Airport. You know, Love Field's now building a new runway. Alliance just finished another runway. And so you've got this infrastructure that continues to be built that allows us to handle this growth. So you cannot take it for granted. We all have to be engaged in the marketplace and the business community and the families have got to continue to say, we want to grow and want a very high quality city. And so the extremes would be, when you go to San Francisco, you've got to ask yourself, how in the world did this happen? I mean, one of the great American cities is now in front of our eyes is dropping with the homeless problem and the crime problem. And I think the reason it happened is the business community and the community leaders took it for granted, didn't stay on their game, didn't push, and they started to compromise. And that's when the quality of San Francisco dropped. Mm -hmm. It's now happening in LA. But go to San Diego, San Diego is clean. And so it, it is down to leadership and culture. It's not a structural issue, it it is a cultural issue. And so you think of an LA, you think of a San Francisco. I was in London last week driving London. You don't see the homeless. You don't see these problems in London. I was in Germany last week. You don't see it in Germany. This is a cultural, political problem that allowed it to happen. And you look at our city with our mayor, I mean, we've got a great mayor. And our mayor's on top of crime, he's on top of homeless. We've got a great new police chief then he's gonna do a great job for our city. And Dallas right now is looking good. I drove downtown Dallas a couple of weeks ago and downtown is really starting to look good. And the homeless issues are being resolved, but our community is, we're involved, we're on top of it. And we are right now doing extraordinarily well, but we've got to fight for it every day. Because if we don't fight for it, we can lose it. Yeah, it's, uh, we've got this expanding market. You'd mentioned Michael Morris, you'd mentioned COG. I think one of the things that's fascinating that we take for granted too is our transportation, I mean, our ability to get around North Texas pretty easily is something that I think Mm -hmm. many of us take for granted. I mean, just look just slightly to our South with Austin. It's tough to get around Austin, right? But talk to us a little bit about how well, but that, look, look at the homeless problem in Austin. Yeah, the, the homeless I mean, issue as well. It got so bad you know? where the governor had to intervene. Yeah. And the governor said, look, if you don't clean it up, he, he said, look, the, the downtown Austin is the front porch of the Capitol. And he's told the mayor, if you don't clean it up, I'm going to take it over. And then they put the referendum and the voters said clean it up. So the voters got involved. But you can, again, it, it can end the road problems, the traffic yeah. problems. 
LA is the greatest helicopter market in the country. You can fly anywhere, which for me I thought was really neat. But you know, you have to because the roads don't work. Yeah. And then I come back home, Dallas doesn't have many helicopters because you don't need them. Yeah. Because you can get around this city quickly, which is a great benefit to our community. Yeah. So we know Dallas and the entire North Texas region are just continuing to, to, to diversify. It's just making this, uh, the fabric of this community, the tapestry is just getting, uh, I think, richer in culture. Um, but we also know that developers need to play a role in allowing that you know, multicultural environment like we are mm -hmm. really, we have become and are continuing to become. But how can we continue to make sure, and especially developers in the room, those that are providing capital to developers, mm -hmm. that the affordable housing element of this is critical? How, how do you see that? How can we stay ahead of that? It, it gets down to our, our cities and our city leadership and the culture and the attitude of the city. I mean, the cities had to fly in formation with the developer. They have to help the developer. They need to be professional. And the city itself has to be an easy place to work. Because we in North Texas, we can go anywhere. This development community can go all over. And if a certain city is too hard to work in, they'll go to the next city. And so it's up to the mayors and the council and the staff and the city manager to really be professional and bring in the development community. Okay. One more. That, that would be my. What, one more question for me, so then I want you all to be thinking of yours, because I think, Linda, I think I'm going to be able to hold us to maybe five or ten minutes of some questions from you all. But the last one I had is, um, many of us are reading every day about the supply chain, what's happened with COVID, what is mm -hmm. happening with, whether it's chips for cars being moved into consumer electronics people are using at home. Um, how, how are you seeing kind of what's, and it doesn't have to be local, it could be anywhere, but how are you seeing that? How are you seeing that impact real estate? Well, I mean, there is obviously a supply chain problem. Uh, it has been great for the industrial business. Uh, because to those two trends, I mean, the trends of acceleration, you see huge acceleration in e-commerce. And so there is an e-commerce boom. And, and we do a lot of development for Amazon across the country. And so Amazon sort of leads the way. But now here comes Walmart. Here comes Target. Here comes Home Depot. All the big players have to have an e-commerce infrastructure. And as we rebuild the U.S. infrastructure, it's a huge opportunity for logistics and industrial players like ourselves. And we're very involved in that. The other interesting part is we used to put a million square feet on the edge of town. The client base now wants a million square feet in the middle of town because they want two-hour delivery. And so our development cycle, it's getting tougher and tougher. It is brownfield redevelopment. And we are taking very, very difficult. So we, we are now developing the Detroit fairgrounds. Imagine if somebody went to the Cotton Bowl and put warehouses at the Cotton Bowl. The fair. Well, that's what we're now doing in Detroit because their fairgrounds were shut down for about 30 years. And so we did a joint venture with the city to put on Amazon which was great for the city, great for the neighborhood. So that's the kind of work we're doing. Very, very complicated work where it used to be more greenfield work. Uh, number two, we're gonna have inflation. And the one we're gonna feel the most will be energy. And we've completely botched up the energy policy of the United States. And for us not to encourage oil and gas drilling is gonna be very, very painful for the American people. And that's why gasoline prices are going up. That's why natural gas prices are going up. And we still, it, the, the, the energy policies of Europe have really failed. And being in England and Europe like I was last week, in England, they're, they're, they're going to have to shut down factories this winter 
because they don't have the natural gas to heat the homes because their renewable push was too aggressive and it didn't work. Germany's got the same problem. Germany is now, Europe is now basically tied to Russian gas. So Putin is very happy with the renewable programs of Germany. And because the price of natural gas is now, natural gas in Germany is equivalent of $250 a barrel of oil. That's how high gas prices have gone. So now the industries are shutting down and you've got lots of problems around energy. So I think until we get a pro-oil and gas environment and until ESG becomes realistic, we're gonna be on oil and gas for the next 30 or 40 years. When you look at every number, we're gonna need 100 million barrels of oil a day for probably 30 years, at least. And it's because the demand for energy is so great around the world, the renewables could do the growth part, but you've got a base load here that is gonna be with us. And we have taken so much money out of oil and gas over the past two or three years, there's gonna be a shortage. Now, the boom is kicking off in Texas. I mean, we're, we're, we're in the middle of the oil patch, and you know, leases have now doubled in the past 60 days. And so you're seeing the money flow back into Texas. It's not the big public companies, it's the entrepreneurs going back to work. So you'll start to see it in Texas, but the Texas entrepreneur, we can't find and produce enough oil without the big guys. We're gonna need the big guys in there. So you're gonna have energy inflation until we get a better energy policy. And then you're gonna have the, with the rolling shutdowns. Now this energy problem, I think, is at the foundation of the supply chain. Because China now is running out of energy. And you're shutting factories down in China because they don't have the power to run the factory. That's why coal use in China is starting to skyrocket. And coal mines that were closed in China are now coming back to life. And so the environmentalists, their policies have completely gone counter to what they wanted. They pushed ESG so hard, they brought coal back to life. And as soon as natural gas prices go up, coal comes back. If you keep natural gas prices low, coal will go down because it can't compete with natural gas. So you're with the rolling energy crisis in China, that's affecting the supply chain and the factories. And then you've got yeah, we actually are, we're, we're advising the White House on California. And they said, how do we you give, you give the 100 ships off the L.A. port? And I said, you know, you've got, to, you've got to get the ports back to 724, and you're going to have to work with the unions, and you're going to have to get truck drivers. As long as we're paying people not to work, you know, you're not going to have enough truck drivers. Now, the truck drivers are working. They'll work for cash. The underground economy in the U.S. is very strong. So what you'll see is people take their benefits, they'll go work for cash. And so, but if you're gonna have a legitimate economy, you've gotta get people back driving for the big companies. And so there's a lot here that can help get it done. But I think with the, if, we'll, if we'll get the subsidies and the welfare payments out, which are slowly phasing out, that'll get people back to work and that's gonna help. Well, the journalist in me had about four more questions I, I wanted bet, to I bet follow you up did. on that. But look, I, I, this is for, for you all. I, 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 what questions, uh, we've got 10, 15 minutes here to just uh, let you all ask Ross the questions that uh, are on the top of your mind. So uh, I don't know if we have a microphone or if we're just, okay, so just stand. If you've got one, let me know and I'll pick you out if I can see you. There we go.
Well, those other ports are, are picking up the slack. But if you look at logistics, it just takes a while to get to those other ports and get through the Panama Canal to get to those ports. But you know, they're all coming online, uh, but it's still going to take a while to get it cleaned out. And, and, we've, and big picture, we've overstimulated the economy. We dumped so much money into this economy that, that we're not used to this level of demand. And that's probably the biggest problem we have. So, so I, was with a, I was with a senator on Monday talking about these issues, and he said, do you know how much money it took to win World War II and the Marshall Plan? And no one knew, because it took $4.7 today's dollars. So we have spent more money on COVID than winning the war and stabilizing Europe. That's how much money we have dumped into the system. And you talk to our political leaders, you talk to the governors, commissioners, mayors, I talked to a lot of them, they go, Ross, we don't know what to do with the money. They have dumped so much money into the system, they don't know how to spend it. And so that, that is just, I think when, you, when the history's written, we grossly overstimulated the market. We spent far too much money on the COVID relief programs. They're very poorly done, and that's one reason you've got this bottleneck in inflation is there so much artificial demand that's not real? Mm-hmm. What else? What other questions do y'all have? And, I, and I'll repeat it too so we can make sure. Yeah, it's right over here. It is. Yeah, water will be a challenge, but we've got what, two new lakes being built? Our, our Russell Laughlin, who runs our, our infrastructure at Hillwood, he tells me right now we're in pretty good shape on water. But don't be complacent. And we, I'd start the next lake building program now because it takes years to get these lakes approved. We need more lakes and more water. And there's a lot of there's a lot of water in the region, but we got to go to Oklahoma. And trying to get water from Oklahoma to Texas brings up a lot of old history and baggage and. But if you, if, you, if you take politics aside, Oklahoma's got a surplus of water that can feed us in North Texas. We just have to cut the deal. You don't want a new Red River rivalry? Okay. <laughs> what else do we have here? Oh, yes. Uh, what are your thoughts on other renewable energy? Where nuclear, nuclear is where we need to go. And I would, I mean, I've, in the perfect world, I take all the money going into renewables, put it into nuclear power. You've got great technology coming. In five or six years, that small nuke will be out. And then that is the long-term solution for power uh, in the United States and the rest of the world. The renewables, you can't rely on them. We saw it, we saw it this winter when they went offline, then the natural gas load couldn't pick it up. But the, our thermal base load, people aren't investing in the thermal base load. It's all going into renewable, and so that money the renewable money is not reliable. So you've got to balance out new money going into thermal, so we always have that base load there. But at the end of the day, it's natural gas to nuclear power. Is, that is a pragmatic way to get us to the future. But I do it quickly, because we, we need to hurry up. You know, it's there, but when you talk to the scientists and you look at the new nuclear, the new technology, I'm getting really on thin ice, because it's not something, I, but I was briefed on it this week. The new technology coming uh, is not going to have the radiation issue. What other questions? Yes. Do you think it's a 
I think, I think for sure, uh, community rentals, the rental home is going to be a great business. And we've started our first phase in one of our projects called Harvest, uh, north of Alliance. And so we're actually working with a developer now to, to work through it. And so I think it's a great business. I think the community should encourage it because it will bring some affordability to the community. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm a fan. Yes, ma'am. I think the greatest short term will be the opportunity zones. I mean, that, that's gonna, that should bring a lot of energy into the downtown area, into the southern Dallas area, would be opportunity zones. Uh, and then, if you look, I mean, we're developing, we're developing a lot of warehouses. I can't see behind the podium. We're developing a lot of warehouses on the southern side of Dallas. So you've got that huge industrial play happening on the south. You've got the opportunity zone play in core downtown. Then the rest of it should start filling in. But it's, the city owns so much land there that I haven't focused on it, but I can't understand why the city can't quickly get that land into the hands of single-family developers. And I think the uh, Habitat for Humanity, some of the, some of the groups are building homes, mm -hmm. but it looked like it was more of a not-for-profit activity, which is great, but if you want things to really work, you've got to have a for-profit activity. And then when you get for-profit activity, now you'll get even more people into the South. But to me, it's an affordable housing program. Uh, and then the policing. I mean, the police, the police are doing a great job, and they need to continue to make sure you keep all parts of town safe. I, I'm even happy to add a little bit of fabric to that, because I think it's interesting. If you all have not, uh, when you, if you listen to Dr. Eric Johnson, head of economic development for the city, I, I think he would really argue that we need a better uh, vision for Southern Dallas, mm. a better narrative, a better story. How do you stitch together the wonderful things going on along Camp Wisdom with, you've got Paul Quinn, you've got UNT Dallas, you've got Redbird now uh, down near 67. There are so many good things going on, but we need to stitch them all together, turn them into a better narrative. And the reason why we're taking ownership of that at the morning news is because that's what we need to do. We, we're the ones who uh, can help create narrative, but the city and I think Dr. Johnson is well on a path to do that. Uh, and you bring it, I think we should all, you know, next time you see Senator West, I ought to give him a big bear hug because Senator West is doing a great job for South Dallas. And that UNT Dallas campus it has done a huge job so far, but then the new science expansion, I think we just got in the legislature, $100 million going into to UNT Dallas. So I think UNT Dallas, in my world, we want to always take care of our med school, and now we want to take care of UNT Dallas. And we want to make sure the legislature stays focused on those two, because those are both great engines of growth in North Texas, and especially core Dallas. Yeah. Time for one more? Okay, let's, one more question. Yes. Bill, it's a great question, and there is certainly a, a severe U.S.-China relationship problem that's not getting better. I mean, it's getting worse. And she continues to push a more and more aggressive approach around the world. And so we, we can spend a long time on this. So 
we, the U.S., need to get our critical supply chain back into North America. It'd be great if it's in the U.S., but anywhere in North America would be fine. And so including the renewable supply chain, because if you don't get the battery, the solar, the rare earth, and the processing here, you're putting your energy future in the hands of China, which we cannot do. And so we have a huge kind of remanufacturing that we've got to do in the United States just to protect our own interests. But it's going to take a while with China. And China has had a great 30-year run, but you look at the demographics of China, you can make a case that China's now peaked out and China's going to start to drop because of the one-child policy. They broke their demographics. So this is what she is facing. And he is facing, does that economy stop? And when I, I, when I started working in China 10, 10 or 11 years ago, I went to see President Bush. I said, who knows better, you know, who, best briefing you get on China is Bush. And he said, look, he said, the main thing you got to work, anytime you work with the Communist Party of China, you'll, you've got, when you look in their eyes, you'll see that they know they don't have legitimate power. They took their power from the Chinese people. And the deal is, is we're going to take the power, we're going to give you prosperity. And they, would, they had to generate 25 million new jobs per year to keep their power. Well, they've done that now 30 years. And the balance sheet of China is far worse than the U.S. balance sheet. I mean, their debt loads are huge, on the books and off the books. And they grossly overbuilt their economy, as we can now see in the real estate industry, and the bankruptcies that are coming. And so they push it so hard. There's a, there's a fact out there that the past 30 years, China's taken like half the world's steel, half the world's concrete. I mean, the world basically is producing to build the China we see today. So the point you make, which is really important, we talked about inflation earlier. You, you could have a scenario in four or five years, if China goes offline, we could have deflation because the world is so geared to building China. If they don't need the product, we're going to have an oversupply. That's going to take a while to get there. So you, China is... If that's the, that could be the black swan in our professional lives that we've got to watch and manage. And hopefully, we will... The Chinese military threat has become very severe. And the Chinese threat on Taiwan is very real. And so we have to be strong enough and powerful enough with our allies to keep China at bay, try to keep them from being more aggressive as we work our way through this, because the world doesn't need a U.S.-China conflict is the last thing the world needs. And we need great diplomats to, to but the only way we're going to keep peace with China is we must be very, very strong. That's the only thing they respect is our strength. And for us to spend almost $6 trillion on stimulus through COVID, through COVID and not a penny on defense is a sign to China that we're not serious. And when these deficits build up, the tendency will be you take it from defense. And that's what the Chinese think we're going to do. And if we become weak, now you have a problem with China. But we can talk about this a, a long time, and it's a very astute question. So I think we've kind of about we hit our cover, time. We well, cover a lot of topics, let me, right? Let me say two things just for me, and then you want me to hand it off back to you all. But I, I think first is a, a big thank you to Trek for putting this on and, uh, and the sponsors for having R Ross join us. So big thank you. Thank you to you all, but also Ross, thanks so much. Grant, this thank has you. just been fantastic. So can well, we give a big round of applause? Thank you. 
And I'll put it in, in, in this great city we have, that's going to be the third largest in the nation, we have to have a great newspaper. And we are very blessed that you guys continue to build this great newspaper because you look at the newspaper industry, it is really tough. So if you don't have your subscription to the Dallas Morning News, buy one, buy a couple. Because <laughs> we, we've got to keep this great paper. It's a critical part of our community. So thank Grant, you. thank you for thank what you're you. doing. Thank you, I appreciate it. Thanks. Yes. And Linda, thank you, appreciate it. That'll do it for today's show. I'd like to thank Ross Perot Jr. and Grant Moise for their conversation as part of our latest Bank of Texas Speaker Series event entitled North Texas, Our Rise in the Global Economy. I'd also like to recognize and thank our sponsors, Bank of Texas, Stuart Title, RSM, Balfour Beatty Construction, and the Dallas Morning News for their support of Speaker Series. Remember to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app and follow us on social media. You can find links to all of that and more in the show notes. Until next time, I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for listening.